2: That's stamps.com. Code program.
0: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, the Renault Dealer of the Year and most Google-reviewed dealership in Ireland. For award-winning customer service you can trust, visit us today. Blackstone Motors, drive with peace of mind. 041-983-1100.
3: You're very welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. A young mead student calls for no homework. No homework for school children. We're going to hear from Finn Savino a little bit later on. Elena Duff's in the house. Ukulele, first time ever on Late Lunch. Ruth Campbell. She's written her first children's novel and it's beautifully illustrated by Vivian Byrne. They're with us on the show this afternoon. And don't forget, we have that Amy Huberman Huberman, Bourbon footwear giveaway on the show as well this afternoon. If you want to get in touch, 086 1800 658 is the text or WhatsApp number or to call in. It's 1850 715 958. Now, Joseph Shah is head chef at the Oak room restaurant in Cavan. He's turning out Fantastic fare, which is a far cry from the life he once lived in Dublin. And he joins me on the line to tell his story. Joseph, good afternoon.
4: Good afternoon, Jay. Thanks for having me.
3: Not at all. Thank you for taking our call. You're a Rahini boy and you describe yourself as the golden child in your family, yes?
4: Oh, I was indeed. I was indeed.
3: Why, why do you say that? How many children were in the family?
4: Well, so, um, basically the story is that um, I'm an only child. Oh, that's a stupid question of mine. Why wouldn't you be the,
3: the golden child? Go on, explain more, yeah.
4: So, um, my father is originally from Kuwait. Right. I'm half Arabic. Now, I don't actually know him. I'm actually in the process of trying to find him at the moment. So, okay. I've been in contact with the Kuwaiti embassies and like that. Um, my grandmother and grandfather, they would have spoiled me, spoiled rotten. I would have came from a very wealthy family. Mm. And... Um, so I would have been brought up with, to show respect, I was a keen golfer, I was got involved in golf when I was four years of age. Um, money wouldn't have been an object. I was spoiled, like that's what mm. I mean by a golden child, you yeah. know? I would have been very naive and I would have been kept very secure from any sort of harm and danger, like in the sense that I wouldn't have known what drugs are before I was 12. Um, I would have been very naive and very, very innocent. Mm.
3: In and that and that comes from, you know you know when grandparents, they absolutely dote and, and doted over you as well and cotted you and kept you away from all this. But, Joseph, sadly at 12 years of age, your life changed. What happened?
4: So, growing up, um, I dealt with a little bit of racism because of my skin colour in school and I didn't really have many friends. I was always looking for security and that sense of um, that warmth and longingship of having a friend. Mm. So, when I was 12... I would have seen my grandmother as my mother. Now my mother was around, but she was she was young. She was twenty when she was nineteen when she had me. Yeah. So she was still living her life and the likes of that. So when my grandmother died, she died of cancer, and I was beside her when she died, and she took her last breath beside me. Now that hit me very hard, but I didn't show me emotion. And unfortunately, the way I went for security wasn't in my family. It Ooh. was people that uh, I knew that uh, were involved in drugs. Now, I would have been, I wouldn't have had the extent of what they were involved in, but um, I was out one day with them, and I was told because I left the house after she died, and some of the lads that I knew I wouldn't have hung around with, I wouldn't have associated with them, I would have been a lot younger than them. They were um, smoking weed and they were smoking cannabis at that stage, and they said, oh, hey, look, your granny's after dying. Would you like a drag? And I was a bit like, okay, well, I don't know what it is, so yeah, I'll give it a go. And that's when I started smoking cannabis to try and deal with my emotions and deal with that. At 12? At 12, yeah. At 12.
3: You say you went wild from there. This was the beginning of a period of your life, which we're going to talk about now. By 14, you were on cocaine, yes?
4: Yeah, I was. I was was on cocaine because I was hanging around with these guys. And I felt that, it comes back to my naivety, I felt that they were my friends. Right You know I felt that oh, lovely I have my friends now And you know what I mean I have security around them And they were all doing it Because they would have been 18 or 19 hmm. And it was sort of peer pressure Yeah I go on do a line You'll enjoy it You know And I didn't really know what it was But it was that sense of euphoria I got Where I didn't care about anything else while I was on it. I forgot my problems And I forgot my worries So how do you and feel
3: Because I- I've never taken a drug I don't know what you're talking about When you take cocaine What's the feeling like?
4: Um, well, for me back then, it was sort of uh, euphoric, like in the sense of happiness, you, you have energy, and um, there's a sense of love in the sense that it heightens your endorphins, where you feel, you feel good about yourself.
3: And do you stay on this high for long, or is there a come down after it?
4: Of course, there is a come down. Massive. Bad, there is a bad, yes, there is a bad come down. The more you take, the more you will come down, and the more you take, the more you get addicted.
3: So it's a vicious circle
4: It's an absolute vicious circle um,
3: And are you able to function like at 14, 15, 16 years of age Are you able, what are you doing? Are you at school? What's happening in your life?
4: Yeah I was, I was at school now alright But um, I was going to school during the day and then coming home and doing my homework and the likes of that like, And then I'd be going out like And I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, been, at that stage now I wouldn't have been every single day that I was doing mm. you know, It would have been the weekends where I would have been out Okay. During the night or whatever. And when I was living in my grandparents, with my grandfather, there would have been no one else there. So I would have gone out at whatever time I finished school or the weekend, gone out, come home, cook him his dinner. Uh, he'd have a few drinks and then he'd go to bed. And then I sort of left whatever it was to do, you know?
3: Yeah, free reign. So you were still at home, as you call home, with your grandparents, living with your granddad and that, and, and living yeah. under that roof. Now, this moved on for you because then you started selling and holding drugs for people, yes?
4: Yeah, so it was the same sense of security then again. You know, that, uh, that it was naive in the sense that, you know, the lads were like, I was paying out money for my cannabis and my cocaine and the likes of that. And they were saying, like why pay for it when... You can take a bit there. You can give a bit to your friends. And there'd be no problems. Like, you're getting your bit and you're not paying for it, you know? Mm. It's like, oh, jeez, that's a great idea. Because at 14, 15, like, I wouldn't have had a clue. Mm. You know, I wouldn't have... As I said, I came from a very, very good family. Yeah. And I would have been secure. And I didn't have any idea about it. Like, you know, I was naive. So I thought that was a brilliant idea.
3: Did anybody know? cop this in, in school? What, what age did you leave school at? Did you do the exams?
4: No, I actually... Three weeks before um, my leaving they actually, I uh, left school.
3: Okay, you quit. Did, did anybody at school, I know your granddad's at, at home, he's getting on in years, I know your mum's around as well, did anybody notice anything or say anything to you?
4: They, w- they would have noticed, yeah, but I would have hit it very well as well. I, w- I would have hit it, like, I would have never looked like, even now, I, I don't look like the person that would have done anything like that.
3: Okay. So you weren't, you weren't on your hands and knees. It wasn't totally destroying your life. You were a user. You were selling. You were holding. And if you, if you looked at Joseph Shaw, you'd think, he's fine. He's okay, yeah?
4: Yeah, because I, like, I was raised to show respect, mm. you know, um, in the sense that, like, if someone owes someone money, the lengths they go through to get that off them, like, you, you know yourself what happens. For me, if someone, later on when I started selling heavier, if someone owed me money, I I'd feel terrible even like, going on and trying to do it. Like, mm. I feel absolutely terrible, terrible mm. trying to do it. Like, it's not who I am and it's not who I was raised to be. So therefore, I was never, as what they say, I was never a good drug dealer.
3: Yeah, so in other words, you're saying the people who are in this with no feelings, no remorse, no nothing, it's cold calculated, if you owe and you can't pay, you're going to pay the price in another way.
4: Yes, yes, and that was something that I always hated.
3: Okay, but come on to the point where you are holding this, you are dealing, and you're caught with cocaine. What what age were you when you were caught?
4: Okay, so what I'll do is I'll go from the age of 18. Yeah. So I was 18, and things at home weren't good, so I was still in the grandfather's this age. I had left school, and basically I had free range. So I had any amount of money that I wanted, so I thought it'd be a great idea, sure, look, I'll get a car. I had no license, no tax, no insurance. So I went out and bought a car. And um, it escalated from there. So I had the car then. The people I was around, because I had the car, I always had money. I thought they were my friends. They were using me, Mm. you know. Mm. So from there then, I got involved with people that would have been more involved at a higher level. And it escalated really from there. My addiction skyrocketed. I was heavy on cocaine when I was about 19 years of age. I was pretty much doing it every day. Okay. I, was smoking, I was smoking cannabis every day, and I would be taking some like Valium or prescription drugs to try and come down off the drugs.
3: So drugs were your life at nineteen. Now you were engulfed yeah. by this taking, yeah. dealing, selling yeah. with these people. You were really caught up in this.
4: I, yeah, I was caught up. I was in of my head altogether, and I was so naive to the road, the route that it was going. You know, the people that I was involved with, they they wouldn't know. I didn't have a clue. I thought these guys were my friends. I thought, oh, look, this is this is brilliant. Like, you know what I mean? This is a daddy lifestyle because what you see when you're involved in that is the higher level, higher level lads having everything they want: the flash cars, the women, the jewellery, the clothes, doing what they want to do, having luxury houses, the whole lot. Like, mm. and that's very appealing to a young guy. Very, yeah. very appealing.
3: So, what so, age were you caught at? When were you I caught?
4: Was, I was caught at the age of twenty-one. Just uh, before I was 21. I was actually 20 years old. Well, and had you, w-
3: were you in a relationship with a woman at that stage or anything?
4: I, was, I had a girlfriend. I was living up in Northwood. Yeah. And I was holding on to it. Now, I was always holding stuff before that, mm. you know. And, like, I, I was naive, as I said. I, I didn't know that like, my daughter was going to get kicked through or whatever it was. But I was up there one, one night. Now, this is where my drug addiction was extremely, extremely bad. I was totally caught up in it. Like every day I was smoking um, cannabis and I would have been taking cocaine pretty much five days a week, you know. Mm -hmm. And they got a knock on the door. Um, Opened the door. was the police there. At this stage then, I had an awful amount of cocaine in the house. Now, it wasn't mine. I was only holding it. So I was brought to the station then. They said, is this yours? I said, it is mine. There was one thing that I was saying of. But I wasn't given any information because I know what comes with that.
3: Would you have been killed?
4: Yeah, of course. Well like I can't say that I would have been killed, but you know what happens nowadays.
3: Yeah, so if you had mentioned anybody in relation to this, your life was on the line.
4: Not just my life, my family.
3: The whole lot it extends beyond you.
4: Of course, of course. And I I like that's one thing that I was saying on. There was no way, it's mine, I'll do the time. I even had to get a loan pay off that bill.
3: My God. So you had to pay the person that belonged to and then you had to pay with three years of your life? Yes. I you went to prison? And
4: yeah, I was given this false sense that, look, we'll look after you. We'll put money into your account each week. We'll we, Look, you're part of our family. We'll look after you. I, I realised when I got in prison, the first night I was in prison, it was the hardest night of my life. I cried. I'm not ashamed of admit that. I cried. I was not built for prison. I was not built for the life that I got involved in, you know, and it was very, very difficult. Things I've seen in there, it, it still haunts me to this day, you know, and it still is a big part of how my life fared out a couple of years ago because I was emotionally scarred from what I've seen in there and what I went through in there.
3: Was it horrendous in, in terms of fear living and fear of violence?
4: Yeah, I was, every day, every day I was afraid in there.
3: What prison were you in?
4: Uh, originally I went to Weefield. Um, from Weefield then I was on a drug-free landing. Um, and I was I was totally clean. I was totally clean for about seven months. Then I went to the train nearest beside uh, Mount Joy. Still clean. And then from there I went to Shelton Abbey. And mm. when I went to Shelton Abbey, that's when things really changed for me. Um you have a lot of freedom there, like, you're not locked in, there's no cells, there's no, you can walk around the grounds, it's it's for trustees really, people that are clean, but the problem with that then is, drugs are, are rampant, absolutely rampant, and the prison prison guys know this, Every, like, pretty much everyone knows this, it was rampant down there, and I've seen people getting lifts, like jumping over, like little, little four foot fence, jumping over, and going, you know, and, just taking flight, like, you know, and that did come across my mind. But there was one one day I was extremely low within myself, I was extremely upset, and some guys happened to have heroin. And I'd never smoked it before at this point. And that's one thing I wanted to say as well. The newspaper portrayed me as having a serious heroin, heroin addiction. Mm. That's false.
3: Okay, you I hadn't. Never,
4: I never, I was never, never fully... Addicted to heroin, never, and that's something that was portrayed in that newspaper. And in a way, I'm not happy about that. But look, they're never going to portray the full truth.
3: Yeah, but you're you're putting the record straight with us here today. Yeah, you want to say course, that you weren't, you took it, but you suddenly you fell off the wagon. You were back on this drug back scene on the, again. Back yes,
4: on the cycle back on the cycle again, and it is a vicious cycle. It's so easy to fall back into, and once you're on that cycle. You're on that circle.
3: Just a question about your, your time in prison. These uh, people you were uh, holding drugs for and involved in the dealing with, they said they'd look after you. Did they look after you?
4: No. No, of course not.
3: Gone. Abandoned. You never heard from them um, again.
4: Yeah, of course. Of course. I, I was the fool to think that they would. It, it's not, they're never going to do this.
3: And in and in prison itself, you mentioned the fear and did you have to cow down, hide away, uh, you know, uh, do what you were told by, you know, you hear there are organized people and there's pecking orders in the prison. Was that the scenario?
4: Um, in that case, there is. Yeah, there is, there is pecking orders and there is, there is a hierarchy. Yes, there is. I I don't want to get too much into. Yeah,
3: I understand, but it's just to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand that, but it's just to understand what life was like in there. So look, Shelton, uh, Abby, you go to the open prison. You're back on the the drugs cycle, as they say again, and Mm -hmm. you're released. So,
4: are you using heroin after your release? No, of course not. No, no. That, that's what the, that's what the newspaper portrayed, okay. and it portrayed me as having a serious heroin addiction where I wouldn't have. Okay, so look
3: at it. You, you. You take heroin when you're in there. When you leave and come out, where do you go?
4: Right. So I went back uh, to my mom's house in Swords. Yeah. Um, now I have two sisters. But they're not by, They're not. Um, they're half sisters. Yes, I understand. They're my sisters. Yeah. So I went back there. Now, for me, I was still very, very scared. Um I didn't know what way my life was going. And while I was in prison, I seen so many people coming back in. They'd be in for two months, back in for another two months. And I was like, God, look, what am I going to do? This could be the cycle for me. I don't know. I was so lost. I was so lost within myself. So I started, I got involved with a place called Job Care. It's on Pier Street there. It's the Trasnap program. It deals with people that have come out of prison that want to get their life back sorted. So I was there with them for about a year. But within that year, I got my life back together and I was doing a bit of a walk in the kitchen. Paul Mooney is the head guy there. I have so much respect for him. I was actually talking to him the other day and I thank him so much for what he's done. He's been there for me throughout this period. Uh, he got me a job as a kitchen porter. So while I was kitchen porting in Ilvergardo, it's across from Bussaris, I was a kitchen porter for two weeks. Now, I was in and out of the kitchen then, doing a little bit of prep for the guys then as well. Now, I was very secure in myself at that stage. So, from there. Now, I was still smoking the cannabis stuff. That's Mm. one thing. I was still smoking cannabis. Now, never during work. Always at night time. It was my... I felt I needed it. But you
3: weren't involved in holding or dealing or anything. No, no, no. You were just buying this yourself and using it personally.
4: Yes, yes. But at that stage... Now, I did get back involved in that again, and I'll get into that now in a second. But I was brought into the kitchen then as a comedy chef after two weeks. After a further two weeks then every chef in that kitchen left with the head chef. I was asked by the owner, would I run the kitchen? Now, I was like, what? You want me to run the kitchen? And I said, look, I'll do it. I'll throw myself in the deep end. I have a lot of drive and a lot of passion here, and I'll do it, and I can thank that for my grandfather. My grandfather showed me how to cook. I remember watching lobsters crawl across the floor. We used to go out the best offs, the whole lot. So I had a passion for it. So those two months that I was there running that kitchen, I kept it alive I kept it afloat and I was training other guys then now I was never a chef before this but I had had a, had a talent in me you know mm. and there was something there and I was seen. from there then I went to a different restaurant they brought other chefs in so I said look like, I want to move up the chain I want to learn new things so I went to Dax's restaurant on Pembroke Street I was there um, for about a year as a chef to party done extremely well but my addiction was still there with the cannabis That was something that stayed with me. So from Dax restaurant then, I went to Acklinn Holt. I was under Chef Mark Anderson there. He was uh, trained by Marco Pierre White. What a name. Again, I had serious passion. I had serious drive, but I was manic. And what I mean by manic is I could not control my emotions. So under the pressure, I could deal with it so much, but I would explode. Mm. and that would portray cuz my life outside wasn't secured out of portrayed into the kitchen. So from there then it got to the stage where I had to go I had to leave that kitchen. It was just I wasn't getting on with the guys there. So Mark got me a job in P-shake mm. in College Green with Stephen Gibson. And again I was a serious chef, serious talent. I was I, ha- I had greatness in me, but I was still manic. And what I mean by manic again is I wasn't secure on the outside with my emotions, so I wasn't secure on the inside. Yes. From there then, Stephen had to basically ask me to leave because it was an open kitchen, and my aggression of all my to all my pain in the past was portraying in into the kitchen, and that can't be the way. You have to be extremely grounded. So I went to the Green Hen on Exchequer Street, but I was still... I was training, and I got involved in steroids. I, again, it comes back to the naivety. You know, it'll give you energy, it'll do this for you, it'll do that. I was still very, very naive, even at the age of 25. Okay. So I started doing steroids, I, I went off my head altogether. I totally just went, I went psycho. You know, because that's what they do to you, it's absolutely horrible. You know, I didn't see that at the start, people were telling me, but again, it comes back to me being a little bit naive and a bit ignorant. So I actually left chef and together.
3: How did you get to Cavan? Because we're going to run out of time and I want to conclude this story.
4: Right. So, okay. So, basically, simple as, the reason I got to Cavan is I hit a low period of my life when I was 28. I got back involved in drugs, but I was heavily involved in the sense where I was taking prescription drugs. Um, I took an overdose. I was at a low point in my life, and that's in the newspaper. I took an overdose. And pretty much, I died. I had to get an adrenaline shot and I was in a coma for two weeks. Um, my girlfriend, I'm, still, I'm with her now at the moment, uh, had given birth to my child Mia uh, a year, uh, about a year before I took the overdose. But she didn't let me see the child because she had nothing to do with drugs. She's been my rock and she's always been my rock and she's always been there. Um, so after the overdose then, she wanted, she wanted me to have a relationship with the child and I did as well. So she said, look, let's move the cotton, Let's start a new life here. You're worth more than this. Your child deserves more than this. I deserve and you deserve more than this. So she got me out of them. Like, she is my absolute rock and I wouldn't be here today without her. So she
3: took you to Cavan, and you began a new life. When did you move to Cavan? How long ago? Um,
4: We're looking nearly two years now.
3: Fantastic. And you've been clean?
4: Yes. Yeah, I'm 100% clean. 100% clean.
3: Not a a drug at all and no involvement with anybody from the past or anything like that? That's gone?
4: No, nothing. I cut all ties... Um, as I said, I, I want to give a little bit of a shout-out to Norbert Nealon. He's been super supportive throughout everything, and he knows everything about me. And he's seen the article, and he's still supporting behind me. He's an absolute wonderful chef. I'm learning so much from him. And he's brought a lot of greatness out of me as well. I'm striving in that restaurant. I've milked up the chain. The food I'm producing and the strength and energy I have, it's coming from my past. And the reason I've put my story out there is that I want to help people. Not to get fame or get Lyme, like, I want to genuinely help people in situations that are involved in drugs, the family, families of people that are involved in drugs, and that another is a way out. Yeah, That that's no life to live, mm. and that you can do it, and that there is greatness, and that someone that turns their life around from a life like that has a huge advantage over people once they learn how to turn their energy into positive.
3: Your story is a fantastic one and I wanted to bring it to the airwaves today to allow you to tell it in more detail. I'll have to pop in. I love them pan-seared prawns and lemon and garlic with ciabatta. That sort you're of catches well me attention in the oak room on the menu there. of oh, The yeah. golden fried collini. I know you're turning out great stuff and it's a real, real credit to you. I want to wish you, your rock, that lady who's beside you, your children and your family, all the very best. And thank you for telling your story. On radio today with me here on Late Lunch LMFM.
4: Thank you very much, Jerry. Thank, Thank you. you,
3: Joseph. I admire you greatly. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye.
0: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drada, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at BlackstoneMotors.ie
3: competition time on late lunch this Tuesday afternoon the fantastic new Amy Huberman Bourbon footwear autumn winter collection is now on sale you'll find the full collection in premium footwear stores nationwide or check them out online at bourbonfootwear.com that's b-o-u-r-b-o-n to celebrate the new autumn winter range Amy and the crew at Bourbon Footwear have given us a voucher for any style from the bourbonfootwear.com collection to give away every day this week so you could be walking around in these beautiful shoes soon to win today. Here's the question for you, okay? There's a new sitcom starting on RTÉ this Wednesday evening at 9:35. It's written and stars Amy Huberman. What's the name of the show? What's the name of the new sitcom that Amy's appearing in 9.35 this Wednesday on RT? I want the name, please, to 086-1800-658. That's WhatsApp or text 086-1800-658 with your answer name and details and we'll pick somebody for that before the end of the show. Now, ever since her teenage years, Elena Duff has been toying with playing a stringed instrument relatively recently. She took it up again This time in the guise of the ukulele, which she's taught herself to play, and let me say, play brilliantly, as we'll hear very shortly. And I'm delighted to welcome her to Late Lunch this afternoon. Elaine, it's really good to see you.
5: Thanks so much for having me on. I'm delighted. Not at
3: all. You're very welcome to be here. It's great that you're with us today. Can I roll back the the, the clock, if I may? Uh, As a teenager... You were learning a stringed instrument, but not the ukulele.
5: No, I, I, I was trying to learn classical guitar. And I was learning it off a gentleman called Conrad Green, who was in a band called the Disenchanted. And he used to play in the White Horse Inn in Dublin like every week. And as you can imagine from the name, that it wasn't really kind of, uh, you know, compatible, the two things. And I'm not saying he was a bad teacher, but... Um, He was saying, you're made for guitar. Your fingers are made for guitar. But I really struggled with uh, the reading of the music. I I just found it so difficult. So um, I kind of eventually, I just kept getting stuck. So I went to art college. Which is quite stressful, despite what people might think with, uh, lots of things to do over all your holidays, always projects to do and stuff. And, um, yeah, since then, I just, I kept going back to it and getting stuck at the end of book two and <laughs> going back again and just, and of course, I wasn't sounding like the bands that I wanted to sound like who all were playing electric guitar. So, um, I was too stupid to kind of maybe realize that I could have bought an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar. You yes. know, it didn't really occur.
3: So the classical was a tough ask. And and you pick yeah. it up and leave it down over the years. Did yeah. that happen successionally? Yeah, yes,
5: yeah, yeah. I moved to Berlin for six years. I came back in 2013. So the guitar was left behind because it was too expensive to, to bring over. So during that time, I'd only pick it up the old time when I mm. kind of popped back as a as an idle thing. But, you know, they always say, like your greatest regrets are things you haven't done in life and uh, Conrad had said to him I remember his, uh, his guitarist from his band was away one summer and he said why don't you come in and fill in for him and I was like oh god I, you know absolute terrible stage fright nerves I'm not good enough I don't know how to play the guitar no and it was one of those things that niggled me going on for the next god knows how many years I was like why didn't I do that why didn't I do it
3: you know what does the tale to that story or a end to it which we'll hear in a few moments Berlin what took you there
5: um, I was trying to to my art career to be mm. honest with you it's one of the big art cities along with London and New York uh lots of art galleries there from America, from all over the world, massive big art fairs. Uh lots of art collectors go there, buy the art off galleries there. So um it's um I think it's changed now. In fact people are up in arms about it, but you know, it was a cheap place for creative people okay. to go.
3: So you spent six years there. Yeah. And and how did you live? What is your art? What, what, what do you do art-wise? Were well, you making keep, and selling, creating? I what? was
5: trying to make and sell. <laughs> I think you quickly learn when you go to a big art centre that you, you and everybody else. So, you know, you go from, not that I'm saying I was, a you know, a big fish in a small sea. I was maybe a slightly smaller, <laughs> so, <laughs> not, not so small fish in a smaller sea here. But you go to Berlin and you're competing. You're competing with people whose parents have set up trust funds, and they don't yeah. have to work, and okay. so on. So it's quite hard. And what were you trying to sell? What do you make? Um, I'm primarily a painter. Okay. I do some sculptures sometimes. Okay. So yeah, I was doing drawing work there. I was doing painting work there. I had a few exhibitions. I yeah, I pottered away at at the old. Did artwork. you make money? No. <laughs> I don't think many artists do make (laughs) money. But you had a great time, had you? I had a great time. Well, when I say don't make money, I would periodically make money. Yes. But, uh, yeah. It's
3: hit and miss. It's come and go. It's not an easy life. I I don't decry it by any means. It's not easy for anybody. So home you came six years you were over there. Did you like Germany? Did you like Berlin? Did you learn the language? I did.
5: I learned the language. It's very rusty now. Mm. Um, Actually, there's another band called Pearly from, I think, from Cavan or Meath. I'm not sure. They used to be called Sarah May or Sarah Mai. They're in Berlin now for the same reasons I went to um, pursue their music kind of affordably you know and um, they're loving it over there and I loved it over there at first but I think after a while I think the cultural differences start to come into play Mm. when when the novelty wears off That's Sarah May
3: Leach actually That's that's it it. She's joined us here on the show on a number of occasions Yeah.
5: So um, I think when that started to happen you know you either the cultural differences you either are embedded in a society or you're Mm. not so I thought look I'll I'll come back home Come back home
3: So home you come and really is is that sort of a watershed was it a little while after that did you go back to the guitar or when and how did the ukulele happen?
5: Well, you know, I was still trying to pursue the art here and uh, things weren't going so great. And it's not even, I don't mean, but it just, you know, I think if you're a creative person, you know, if you're not kind of happy creatively or I felt like I wasn't kind of getting anywhere or just something I can't explain. I was just wasn't really happy with it. And, okay, this is going to sound like a really ridiculous story, but uh, my grandfather apparently played the ukulele, but he primarily played the piano and he played classical piano. And my grandmother played things like Russian rags and stuff like that, some more upbeat stuff. But I only learned that my grandfather played the ukulele like a couple of years ago, you know. And it must have been either in my subconscious or else, there's a, a, a spiritual element to this because, uh, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was at home feeling really, really, really miserable and down, and like, where's my life going, and what am I going to do? And then this thought came from nowhere. I swear to God, in my head, if you buy a ukulele, you will be happy. And at that point, I was like, I have to buy a ukulele. <laughs> and actually, I came to the sound shop here in Drogheda and bought a very cheap bright yellow ukulele with a smiley face printed on it and literally just kind of got addicted and from there was like like all the things that I found difficult on the, on the guitar I was able to you know you play a C chord with one finger yeah. on a ukulele you're kind of stretching it across, across three different frets and using three fingers on, on, on a guitar do you know so there's a lovely easy learning curve to it so it gives you this lovely sense of satisfaction it's like oh you know, within a day I can play a song. It's not in one year or three years.
3: And you're self-taught.
5: I'm self-taught. I mean, I will say about the ukulele, it is very easy to learn if you play everything in the key of C. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as you start trying to play things in other (laughs) keys, it gets difficult. Yeah.
3: (laughs) But so John Rogerson's key, <laughs> 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 North key, South key—it's exactly. under here and the hot. But you are, and you're at this along now. What about three, three and a half about years? Three and a half years. Isn't now. that curious about that voice that mm. spoke to you and that you found out about your granddad?
5: It was right though, because mm. you know it's brought me a lot of joy, and I think I love painting and. That side of things. But actually, I think personality wise, I'm quite a social person. I love going out. I love meeting new people. I love music. I always have. So I think it's filled that gap where art can be quite a solitary thing to do. And I think you have to have the right personality for it. I think the music, you know, I love writing as well. I love songwriting. I love the act of writing and coming up with words and kind of metaphors for things and and all of that. So it really it really did and I tell you in a very short space of time not that I haven't even recorded anything yet but yeah it kind of took off for me I put some videos up on YouTube and people started to really like them and people were asking me to play here there and everywhere and I think compared to the struggle in the art world because it's just so so much more difficult Mm. people will say the music scene is difficult I can tell you if you're trying to make it in the art world it's so difficult Mm. so it just felt lovely to get some positive feedback for something creative that I was doing and and get the opportunity to play it for people instead of, you know, hitting closed doors all the time. Will you play it for me? Yeah. Um,
3: Okay, let's see what this lovely (laughs) young woman is all about. Elena Duff... First and late lunch with a ukulele. Never had a ukulele, I have to say. You can make a wish now in studio with me before. Go on. What, what are you I'll gonna, try what are you a little do? bit
5: of... Uh, you asked me to play Dream a Little
3: Dream. You're fine I did. I made a little request. I'll dream tr- a Little Dream. Louise loves it as well, my producer, and myself. <laughs> and we said we'd ask you this one, even if you played a verse of it first. Because I know you do write and play and you're going to your own stuff as well. But let's hear a little of Dream a Little Dream. Okay.
5: While I'm alone and blue as can be, dream a little dream of me.
3: Love it, love it, love it. May I say that you have this jazzy feel to your voice? I'm sure you've been told that many yeah. times, aren't you?
5: Well, I think, you know, again, going back to learning the ukulele and teaching myself to play, you know, I did think, particularly with the bright yellow instrument, I thought this is the most ridiculous little instrument, but I want to be the best ukulele player ever. There's all these fancy strums that you do on the ukulele that you can't do on guitar that kind of starts, you know, they're pretty tricky to learn. But what I found out and about, nobody really cares about, you know, whether I'm doing fancy strums or not. Everybody talks about the voice. And it's kind of suddenly I'm I'm a bit like, actually, you know, that's the main instrument. It doesn't really matter whether I'm playing ukulele, guitar or anything else.
3: <laughs> I think they suit lovely. I want to <laughs> head to a short break on late lunch. Elena Duff is with us on uh, late lunch this afternoon. She's playing ukulele and we have more to hear from her and talk about after this short break. <laughs> ukulele player Elena Duff is with me on late lunch this afternoon. You know, you're unusual. I, I, I You'll probably say to me, yes, Jerry, sure I am unusual. I've <laughs> told you that on re- already today. <laughs> but when you take uh, ukulele, Tiny Tim... George Formby, yeah. Cliff Edwards, yep. Roy Smeck. These are fellas yep. I would have known. All menily.
5: Yeah, it's true. Apart from a few promotional shots with Marilyn Monroe holding it, uh, e- yeah, looking very sexy. <laughs> it is all men, yeah.
3: Do you know that though... Uh, Here's somebody that the younger folk would know. Taylor Swift plays ukulele. Did you know that?
5: I didn't know that. But she do you does. know There's been a resurgence of interest mm. and I think it's become, in a way, it's like slightly hip growing out of that resurgence. So who else? There was somebody else I saw recently. Uh, um, oh, God, what's her name? The, who sings Girls Who Just Want to Have Fun. Uh, Cindy uh, Lauper. Cindy Lauper. I saw her recently singing that live, on TV with a little ukulele. Oh, there you go. And, um, so there you Sam are. Sam Brown, the a few other people. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So
3: the women are certainly making their mark, like yourself, with the ukulele. Now, that ukulele you have with you today, that's not the wee yellow one you bought off Tommy Lane. It's not.
5: <laughs> it's not. This one, um, I started putting up some YouTube videos and then... Um, after a few months, I got I got an email from this Korean, South Korean ukulele manufacturer saying, uh, you know, his English isn't great, saying we, we want to give you a ukulele. And I kept thinking, no, oh, this is like some scam, as we're <laughs> all been warned recently with Facebook, don't do this, don't do that. So I was very mistrustful. And I kept saying, well, but what do you want? Do you want me to, like, review it on YouTube? Do you want me to? And he was like, no, just take it and play it. So is that it? And this is it. I'm
3: still using all it. all the way from Korea. Yeah, I Beautiful, put in. Um, it?
5: I put in a, a little pickup myself in it because yeah. I didn't have a pickup to help me. Gorgeous, play live.
3: gorgeous. Yeah. No, you got a micro uke. A uke I'm doing the, the, the slang yeah. here. A micro <laughs> uke. I'm yeah. into it. I'm into it now this afternoon from <laughs> the UK.
5: Yeah, there's a, a luthier, um, and if, if anybody doesn't know what a luthier is, it's it's somebody who hand, hand makes guitars and and ukuleles. Um, And this luthier is called Itsy Bitsy Uke. And as the name might suggest, he makes makes tiny little ukuleles. And when I say tiny, I mean, I suppose the size of a man's palm is the body of it. And it sounds like... Sounds like that, that kind of <laughs> tuning quite high up. Very difficult to play, but it's one of those little things you can't keep your hands off it. I should have brought it in with me to show you, actually. It's just so cute and yeah. I can't keep my hands off it. So I've, I've kind of, uh, I actually wrote a song for...
3: The micro yuke The
5: micro yeah, called the Itsy Bitsy Song. Brilliant, so, brilliant, yeah. <laughs> brilliant.
3: Will you sing one of your own for us, please? What are you going to perform for us today? I'll now. sing
5: a song. It's not so serious. We're going to have a bit fun day, and uh, since it's a bit grey outside, something, something less than serious. It's called Mine O, and it's a song about female competitiveness over the one man.
3: Okay. Away you go.
5: staring at him I can see, I can see I can see you moving and We're done with talking, and he's mine. Oh,
6: he's mine, ooh, mine. Oh,
5: mine. Oh, mine. Oh, you see, he's mine when I put. Done with talking and he's mine, oh. You're a lovely creature, but he's mine, oh, he's mine, oh And just keep walking cause we're done with talking And he's mine, oh, he's mine, oh, mine, oh, mine, oh Look at you, look at you, look at you draped over him Look at you, look at you, look at you just reeling him in Because you are living with her, her, mine, not mine, not mine, oh.
3: Fantastic. <laughs> I love it. And I love the lyrics as well. We were listening intently there. And you know what I'm just thinking? You probably don't watch Strictly Come Dancing. I,
5: I've seen the odd episode, but I'm not a massive fan. I Are have, not? You know, I'm not addicted like some yeah, people.
3: Well, I, I have to say I'm sort of addicted to it, to be honest with you. But you know every year in Strictly there's an affair between right. the professional dancer and the... Yeah. One of the celebrities. Well, it's broken out already this year, so early on on Strictly. <laughs> because you probably haven't heard, but Sean Walsh, he's a comedian, and his dance partner, Katia Jones, were pictured in London the other night, snogging oh, and canoodling. Dear. And Sean's girlfriend, uh, Rebecca Humphreys, yeah. I think she'd love that song this is today. It.
5: It's universal. The song was there. made for her.
3: The only thing is, it's a bit late. She's dumped him already.
5: Oh, <laughs> He's oh gone. dear. She's covered him with honey and she's <laughs> thrown him to the bears. Oh, dear, dear. Good on you,
3: Rebecca. <laughs> Look, uh, you are really, you are really fantastic, I have to say. Because besides what you've given us here today, we've been enthralled by you watching your YouTube uh, stuff earlier so today. Much. Tell me this when are you going to. Put some of this down, you know, that you're going to record. Yeah, yourself. It's,
5: it's it's the expense of it. I, mm. I've contacted a few recording studios. My my other half is a professional musician, so he's been giving me advice. It's getting the money together. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to gig a bit more, mm. so that people are actually wanting the CD instead of making the CD first, if you okay. know what I mean. I understand. So, um, yeah, bit by bit. But hopefully I'm, I'm kind of aiming for the first, in the next six months to at least record one song. Oh, and, yes. You, <laughs> get must, get
3: you must, you must, yeah. you must. You know, you do brilliant covers, but you write this stuff and it's brilliant as well. And you've created this yourself. You have to do it. I to. will. I promise. Please God, you. as soon I'll, as possible. I'll come back with my CD. Do, you do. You'll be welcome back when, <laughs> when, you, when so you get that sorted. But between now and then, you are gigging and the gigs are coming. I know. Yeah. And we want to mention a, a local one here. You're in RD this Friday. Yes, this coming Friday.
5: That's it. Um, in Riley's Bar on October the twelfth. I think it's. For, is it from eight or nine? I can't eight remember. Eight o'clock,
3: I think. Yeah.
5: yeah um, and it's an open mic night, but there's two headline acts. And the headline everybody will know: Joe Rooney from Father Ted. Is it Blur Oasis? <laughs> and uh, Jerry Hodgers, who runs the Purple Sessions, and Very is a well fantastic known, singer songwriter yes. and musician himself. They're The two headlines, and um, then there's an open mic. I booked myself in to come and play a few songs because I'm coming from, from Cavan all the way over, so uh, you Brilliant. want to make sure you, you get a slot. So, we'll be playing a few songs there. There,
3: and then on Monday the 15th, you're in Dublin.
5: That's right, I'm in the Wiley Fox, which is down on Eden Quay, down near um, Bosaris. and um, they do um, like um. Showcase, I suppose, a showcase night uh, every Monday called the Monday Club, and it's run by uh, Fluttertone. So you can you can look that up, and I'm playing. 30 minutes set there of my
3: original song. Great stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, look, we wish you well with the gigging, the Thanks rising, so the recording. And I know you have, just as a footnote, taken up the guitar, haven't you, as well?
5: I have. I've added it into the set. I thought maybe if I eventually get to the point playing a couple of hours, that maybe a couple of hours of ukulele might be too much for somebody. So back to the guitar I go. <laughs> and the
3: acoustic it is. <laughs> it is. Not yes. the classic. Is yeah. it? Wish you well, Elena Thanks Duff. So it's much been for a real me. pleasure you. meeting you on late lunch today. Thanks a million. Thank you.
0: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie.
3: It's taken a while But well worth the wait. What am I talking about? Ruth Campbell has at long last written her first children's novel called Mr. Wiscockley, Adventure in Thorny Wood, which is beautifully illustrated by artist Vivian Byrne. And I'm delighted to tell you that I have the author... And the artist with me in studio today. Ladies, you're very welcome to the show. <laughs> I heard really that big laugh much. in the background, I'm sure they did as well. I am getting at you. I really am, Ruth. Uh the, you won't genesis. Be the first, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> Will we tell them about the daughter, what she said to you. Anyway, <laughs> the genesis of this book, it's ten years in the making, isn't it?
7: Yes. How come? Well, I've been telling children's stories for two generations. And I never wrote any of them down. And eventually only 10 years ago. I mean, I'm going back 40 years. I've been telling stories. About uh, 10 years ago, I was um, babysitting, minding my three and a half year old grandson. And he asked me to draw uh, a picture for him, uh, a monster. So I drew a kind of a thing like a dinosaur. And he said, no, 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 that's not my monster, Ruth. And he described what he had in his head. Uh, and we spent uh, a while in the morning. Um, drawing the monster and where he lived and he had a name for him and he had, John was a little boy with many imaginary friends. What age was he? About three and a half oh, at that fantastic. stage. Oh, fantastic. And they all had amazing names. Like you would say Mr. was cockily. No three and a half year old thought of that. But he actually had a friend called Mr. Gwaginsadys. So, you know, he had all of these <laughs> strange names that he made up. And uh, so I drew the, the, the picture and then his mum came along and... Uh, Claire. Claire. Your my daughter. daughter. <laughs> my daughter, Claire, who is the motivation behind yeah. all of this. Yes. She has been
3: moving Can us I along. quote her? You, she said to her when she came in and saw uh, granny with grandson, disappoint another generation, if you will, mummy. <laughs> Exactly, those very words. Because, though. you see, you've mentioned 40 years and you've had all these stories and you told them to your own children and many other children, That's hundreds correct. of other children, yet you never put any of them down. No, I was always going to,
7: though. <laughs> <laughs> it was always my intention. That someday, yes, And now... Because I've um, Vivian Byrne pushing me as well. We have started. You've yes. done it. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, that and is. And Mr. was because it was John. Uh, it, it was the most important one to get done.
3: Okay. So. Harsh words from the daughter, but away you go. Now, now the other thing to mention is uh, you didn't keep the little drawings of John's. No. no. Is that a regret?
7: Yes. Yes, the, those very first drawings that very first day. I wish we still have. Claire reckons they're still around someplace. Someplace. Yeah. Okay. Maybe they, Maybe they will turn up lo- someday. And
3: then them. they'll be worth as you when they are found. <laughs> um, and 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 the other thing to say. This book then took legs far away from the northeast of Ireland. Where were you? I went to do some voluntary work in Nepal, teaching
7: English in a school in Nepal and in a, in a town outside uh, Kathmandu, a place called Patan. We worked during the week and most of the volunteers were young people and for the first couple of weeks they went away, you know, t- touring around and I just sat in the room with my copybook and a pen and I started writing it, yeah. And that's when it started? That's when it started. It, that Most of it, about two thirds of it went on, on the paper back then. Back then.
3: then. Mm-hmm. Yet it's still been a slow burner.
7: It was just sitting there then and then...
3: What like, finally prompted it You mentioned, I'm going to talk to Vivian now in a second, but what prompted you to do this?
7: There was always little hints and digs and nudges, you know, and the kids would mention him and eyebrows would be raised and say, oh, yeah, Mr. Oh, yeah, God. Yeah, she'd get around to it eventually, and so I did. Hmm. And then I went to Vivian and asked her, would she mind doing a few illustrations? And she yeah, said, I'd just love to. <laughs> just Vivian,
3: Vivian Byrne, come in at this stage. Vividly, and yeah. can I say to you, congratulations yeah, on the absolutely. most beautiful artwork in a book I've ever seen. It's, it's fantastic, it really is. Much. Tell us about you and this lovely lady, uh, Ruth. Well,
8: it, well, myself and Ruth go back in many, many years, yeah. maybe 20 years, because okay. I suppose we would be good what? friends. Yes, yes. So, yeah, so, yeah, so yeah, you yeah.
3: haven't exactly kicked her up the you-know-what either to get this done, no, no.
8: but I know that a long, long time ago we had a discussion, and it was around about 10 years ago, you know, you know I've got these ideas for a book, yeah. will you illustrate them? Of course I will. And we didn't do anything about it. <laughs> 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 and then uh, it was about three and a half years ago, 'Cause I think Ruth you had retired around that time. That's from, right. And Clancy was just and born. And Clancy was just born, my little fellow was just born. And Ruth said to me, Now that you're not doing anything, maybe you'd like to do these <laughs> these pictures. <laughs>
3: no, no, no. Showing you baby, you'd do nothing. They just look after themselves. Yeah, they it? Do. Yeah.
8: <laughs> and it was just it was just the greatest joy to do it. Um and I was, delighted, I was delighted to be given a project and mm. you do this. And, and so do work? you see
3: what intrigues me now? And I've been thinking about this since this has been <laughs> arranged. And I want this is the question I really wanted to ask. You write the story.
8: Mm-hmm.
3: You engage the artist. Mm-hmm. How does all these images then, you know, that flow beautifully with the story happen? Do you go about your work as an artist and do what you do and then come back to Ruth? Or how does it work?
7: <laughs> Honestly, can I just say that? Very, I started off thinking I'm going to tell her what I want, mm. and then I realised I write the story. That's my job. She's an illustrator. When she reads it, literally, she saw ah, what you see. That's the way I felt. I leave you. it now. I leave it to Vivian.
3: So you allowed the artist's imagination exactly. to. Go where it goes, based on the words she read that you created. And then this fuses together and we have Mr. Wiscockley. Adventure in Thornywood. Here it is. Ah, that's... Does it take long? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it took a long time for this woman (laughs) to do what she did. But for you? Well,
8: it took... I think Clancy was about maybe four or five months old when we started Mm. it. So I was trying to... um, uh, just, trying to get the character right which was quite that was that was the most important thing was mm. to get the the character as John had created the character too so that was important so we got we got that done then the rest of Thorny Wood a lot of it's uh, inspired by walks in along the Boyne Valley all around here because they do a lot of walking yeah. around Baltray around Toker and you know so it would have done a lot of walks so, so all of that all that you know that lovely Thorny Wood Brambley bit that's all Comes from where oh, it you've from been around. and where yeah, you yeah. wander
3: each day yeah, yeah, and yeah. you bring that into is this the first book you've illustrated? Yeah. Yeah. You must be so proud of it. I'm delighted
8: with it. I'm delighted with it. Yeah, yeah. It's so a it was a, real, it was a real isn't that
3: interesting. So it's a first for both of you. Two yeah. novices. <laughs> Two novices, yeah.
7: yeah. Not after today. At this point, Jerry, could I just say that when I was down in Abbey Lane's studio recording the book
3: Yeah, because there is an audio copy of this as well. Yes. There is. Yeah. But
7: not only that the, um, Eric Sharp, who who is one of the techno guys down there, he actually wrote music. That the first day he heard the story, he went home and he came back the next day and said, Ruth, how would you feel about? Because I was awake last night thinking of that story, and I have a piece of music in my head. And if you want to hear it, I'm going to leave it with you.
3: Oh yeah, no, you can leave that with us as well. Mm-hmm. But by all means, so you've inspired something else. This story has from somehow the book as well insp-
7: yeah. inspired. It was just amazing.
3: Who Who is this for? I want you to tell me as the author. Look, let me say first, you can take this book and read it to a child. Yes. Of any age. Yes. But if a child is self-reading, what age would you need to be to start picking up this?
7: I would imagine eight to nine. Okay, yeah. it's the perfect yeah. age. I yeah. just wanted to yes, get that Yes, I, I would imagine. But as a, I mean, one of the greatest joys that I can remember when my kids were little was either telling them stories or reading to them. Mm. It's just something that, that there's nothing mm. in the world like it. Yes. And just yeah. seeing their reactions and seeing how they get completely and totally engrossed in a story and how they remember it, you know, for years afterwards. It's, <laughs> it's
3: just questions. amazing.
7: And I think that, you know, yeah, most parents who read to their kids will tell you the same thing. And
3: they never get tired of the repetition, the smallies. No.
7: And no. They love to correct you. Yes,
3: yeah, they yes. know the words in it. Yes. I was just thinking, I remember my late father, Brendan, and many years ago when we lived in a terraced house on the North Road and I remember on winter's nights, because the storms coming at this time of year, he'd tuckle in beside me when we were going to bed, and he didn't have a book, but he had a book in his mind, in his head. Yeah. And he, I can still have that warm glow of safety and security. Right. As. I you can just, still hear his it's words.
7: It's just pure love you feel when, mm. you, when oh your child God. is gazing at your face yeah. as you, yes. tell it's, it's, story, you know? it's, it's
3: amazing. Now, it's tell us this thing. John, the inspiration, the man who mm-hmm. had this germ of an idea at three and a half yes. years of age that he didn't realise would happen. Okay. What age is he now? He's 14. <laughs> what does he think of Granny's work? Well,. <sighs> John is very patient
7: with me uh, and very helpful. I mean, he's 14 years old. He's a lovely young man. Um, But he helps with the techno end. Like, he he put me on... Instagram last night hmm. You know He just helps me AJ is the same His <laughs> younger brother He got me started On YouTube <laughs> Because I hadn't They're my technical uh, team yeah. Yeah.
3: You're a sensation Ruth Campbell <laughs>
7: Not After true. all
3: these years On Instagram And YouTube And everything yes. But what does he think When he You know He knows He was the inspiration He yeah. got you to draw He told you the characters That's right What does he feel about it
7: it's very hard to tell what a 14-year-old He hasn't expressed feels. that, has he, no? But he would be uh, very accepting of it as is. imaginary friends disappear when mm. a child gets to a certain age mm. because they're not necessary anymore. Yes. The they're, they're sort of the... Particularly eldest children tend to have imaginary friends. Mm. And of course, when the next generation, they go to school or their younger brother or sister comes along, the need for an imaginary friend yes. is now gone. So he probably wouldn't remember too much of it. Uh, yes but of he knows he knows he is a, well a done John a you'll hear this I'm sure at some <laughs> stage yo
3: the man yeah. let's <laughs> head to a short break on late lunch Mr. Wiscockley adventurer in Thornywood. Wood I wanna, I've read it. I love it. I want to give my copy to somebody out there this afternoon. Would you like a copy for, let's say, an eight, nine-year-old child and they'll sign it. This will be a collector's item, I promise you. Uh, if you want it, just get in touch with us. You know, tell us tell us why we should give it to you. Have you a child that would love this? Message us now. 086 1800 658 by WhatsApp or text. Give us a little reason why I should give Mr. Wiscockley to one of you. We'll be back with the girls in about three minutes. Going, going, and Almost Gone a copy of Mr Wiscockley Adventure in Thorny Wood by Ruth Campbell and illustrated by Vivian Byrne Would you like a copy for a child in your life? Just tell me why I should give it to you Oh eight six eighteen hundred six five eight by text or WhatsApp this afternoon on Late Lunch Vivian first for you and first of course for Ruth uh, as we know now you are involved across the arts I wanted to mention to you congratulations <laughs> flat out in <laughs> flat drama. Out, I loved it, it. I loved it this band. Band. yes Ah, oh, brilliant, great lads, brilliant. Great lads. but Look, you you you've a broad remit, haven't you, in in, in terms of art?
8: I, it's turned out that way. <laughs> I don't think it was meant it meant to go that way, but I, yeah, it's kind of turned out that way with audio visual and yeah. illustrations and drawings and and the book was lovely as a lovely project because Clancy was just born and it meant I kept my hand in in the drawing side of things whereas yes. I wouldn't maybe have been so committed to my own practice. Whereas if I had to work for somebody else, it was a, it was a much better motivator at that time, mm. and it was lovely to keep a hand in because um, it's, it's so these to are these
3: these are color the visual in this is something else along with the words. But you drew them first, and and did you add the color?
8: Uh, I drew them and they were color, and I colored them in. Okay, and then yes. I brought them kind of into Photoshop, and then yes. you can do a lot of, of course. Messing, and that's
7: of course. lovely. That yeah yeah.
3: You know, that's, that's, that's lovely. Fantastic that's tool. Isn't it? It is <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Who printed it?
7: Oh. The yeah. best ever Beulah Print in Fair Street. Michael O'Leary. I don't know. I can't explain how good he has been to us. Yeah, what a gentleman! A such help and expertise and yeah. patience. Yes. Yes. And yes, all of those yes. things. Yeah, <laughs> I, we I really. I, yeah. I can't imagine how, how we would have managed without him. Yeah, yeah. Well, well that's. Great. I'm,
3: I'm, I congratulate fantastic. him. It's beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. So, where can this book be got? We'd better tell them because. Well, at the moment,
7: out of my. <laughs> Uh, office upstairs in my house. Uh,
3: we. Are, Where do you live?
7: I live, live now in Clowerhead. Uh I have. Um, we are in contact with Argosy, who are an independent um, book distributor. Yeah. We have been in contact with Waterstones, and we've been in contact with Hodges Figgis. But it's very difficult to put a book in unless you have a distributor. Yes. Because it's it's a, a lot of setting up of I things know. and paperwork and mm. stuff so that's where we are at the moment okay we're having the book launch on, on um, Saturday afternoon and next week it's big into distribution we're going to get okay to so the that's the next task you
3: look at you have to come on and don't sit back on this one no. I'm warning <laughs> Ten you years I'm later. joining with Claire here <laughs> to put a rocket onto you yeah. today don't do this yes. because this book is brilliant and it deserves distribution and it deserves yes. to be in the hands of as many parents and children as possible I mean that Thank sincerely and that I'm is
7: no um, Claire is there, she is setting up yeah. my website at the moment, which yes. should be up this week and yes, yeah, she is She is the, the motivator behind everything.
3: Yeah. I'm delighted to hear yeah. that. Yeah. That launch is happening where, where again? Barlow House 3 o'clock on Saturday. Open so, house can anybody absolute, come along? We yeah. would love to see anybody who would come like Are you to going to be along. there? Miss yes, Vivian yes, Byrne yes, will be, we yes. well. we'll be there as well. Of course, yeah, they'll yes. all be there, so they will. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Claire Hedge, you, you, you lived in the Trinity Quarter for a while, did you? As it's known now, Indra, it used to be Trinity Street nowadays. It's now Trinity Quarter.
7: Oh, is that what it's called? Oh, now? yes, oh, oh my yes. my goodness, if I'd known that, and I wouldn't, that, wouldn't have moved And you to... left the
3: Trinity Quarter for Cloverhead. I did. To so lose the run of yourself?
7: Well, I, I kind of <laughs> my teenage...
3: joke in Cloverhead people. Go on. My teenage
7: years were spent in Gandorstown, just outside Clowerhead. Ah,
3: I see. And it's always been a little <laughs> soft spot in my heart. You have a big link there, you mm-hmm. see. So you're going back. So you're there, you have four children, six grandchildren, Des and Sal.
7: Des, yes, Des is my partner. One of the reasons why I moved out to Hedge because my house in Trinity Street just wouldn't hold a writer and okay. stamp collector. Okay, so <laughs> we he collects stamps. He doesn't eat. Yeah. Uh, I'm
3: booking him in. I've never met a stamp collector. I've had a ukulele player today. I want to meet a stamp collector. I used to collect stamps. I used to buy them in Woolworths.
7: <laughs> That's correct. little packets, pens, little yeah.
3: packets of them, yeah. and stick them into an album.
7: Yeah, well, he's got a certain amount of. Million, I think. Has he? I don't know. I, I, uncountable.
3: Louise, take yeah. a note of that. Des, put him down on the sheet in there. Louise is writing away already. He's done. She'll get him. i often said that she'd get Pope Francis if we needed him here. She went close when he was here last time. Anyway, uh, so you've moved to the seaside. Yes,
7: moved it down to uh, Oriel Cove into her head. It's absolutely lovely, and I have my own office, so I can i now have no excuse.
3: Great. So you're yeah. enjoying life there. You mentioned teaching, did you? Or Vivian mentioned when you retired, were yeah. you?
7: Yeah, we both are teaching. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so
3: where are you teaching now?
8: meat Education and Training all Board. Oh,
3: fantastic people. I love them. I work with them every yeah. year here when yes. it comes round to the time of the year, uh, post exams and yes. all the yes. courses yes. they do. Yeah. So and you're teaching away there, Vivian? Yeah, they're
8: great. They're great. They're wonderful
3: great. people. Yeah. And you taught there.
8: Oh, no, I'm back.
7: Oh, you're back? Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> they couldn't do without you. They couldn't do without
7: <laughs> my particular challenge.
3: <laughs> I just do two classes a week. So do I you? yeah. yeah,
7: yeah. So I'm not doing an awful lot, but I have some of the most wonderful students. Yeah. Yeah, they're great. Mm. Yeah.
3: so great. Uh, And m- 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 mature students. Yes. Mature students,
8: yeah. Yeah. And, and
3: and a lot of people coming back for retraining yeah. and great. starting careers again. It's yeah. so enlightening, isn't yeah. it? I, it yeah. must be and fulfilling yeah. when you when oh, you see it. Oh, it's wonderful,
8: them. and, and yeah. the people you get, you just getting you get you just have the joy of the people's company, mm. yeah. and uh, they share their their stories with That's you too. Correct. So it's great. Uh, it's great fun.
3: Now back to the uh, author. She, you and naturally, obviously, you love reading yourself and storytelling, poetry. Do a bit of poetry, yeah. I write only a
7: little, I write poetry, just little kids' things, you know, yes. just, just for fun. But I love poetry. Yeah, it be one of the big loves of my life. Fantastic. Yeah. And I mentioned Sister Maculata.
3: Yes, I was going to. I have her. I have her because I spotted it in the book, specifically in the acknowledgements. You had correct. her right there. Yes.
7: Why? She was my English teacher from from I was in second year in school until my leaving cert. Where and did she, she teach? In Sacred Heart. Okay. And she was just, she loved it. She loved the language. She loved the poetry. And I think everybody in our class ended up that way.
3: Really? Yeah, because of the that the woman of
7: the written word. Yeah.
3: Doesn't it show you she the was, influence? Uh, and that you both have now, you know what I mean, as teachers with people yeah. in your care as well. It's a huge responsibility.
7: Yeah. She you know,
3: used in the right way yeah. to, you know, guide yeah, people. Yeah,
7: she used to encourage us by saying, use your imagination, use your vocabulary, don't be afraid to put it down, you know, mm. rather than giving us guidelines of, you know, to do it properly. She'd yes. Drag it out of you, you know. Yeah, yeah. And when she read poetry, she was transported yeah. to, uh, into another dimension. Look at that. I just
3: look at that woman's face. Yeah, look yeah. at it light up. Yeah. <laughs>
7: yeah, she was wonderful.
3: That showed wonderful. you. And, and people like that, we all have them in our lives that have made yeah. their imprint on us as people yeah. going forward. A great teacher. I believe you can... Um, Spout out an old tune as well. Is that right?
7: <laughs> I don't know where, where did you find that now.
3: I hear a rumor that you're you're uh, uh, one of the star turns in yes. Carbury's every week.
7: Is that right? Well, I'd be one of the lesser stars of Carbury's every week. <laughs> there are some great singers down there. Fantastic Wednesday night, is it? Yeah, and it's just. Is such the session fun.
3: going strong there still on Wednesdays? Yeah, uh,
7: it's consistent. Yes, how strong it is. Sometimes there might be four of us. Sometimes right. there might be twenty four. Oh, great! Mm. That's it. But, there would but be it a, doesn't matter. there will be a, a, a core group of about eight people who re- are regular. Led, of course, by Jerry Cullen, who's the heart of it uh-huh. all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the inspiration. The joy to all in himself. Yeah. Yes. And the most the, the most welcoming people
3: mm. and encouraging people. Loveliest, yeah. loveliest, loveliest. And a great people. teacher. Yes. There's a great teacher. Uh, absolutely. But now we're talking yeah. about other school teachers. <laughs> yeah. is, is right. Yeah. So uh, if you want to hear this woman perform, <laughs> Calbury's tomorrow night. What time does the session start at? Not until about 10. Get down there tomorrow <sighs> night. Get down there and hear this woman <laughs> sing. I promise you, I you'll be infiltrated, and you can buy a copy of the book as well. <laughs> while you're at it, <laughs> while you're down there, why not? You know what it's been. A bit of fun. It really pleasure has. It was, yeah. I, I'm delighted you sent me in that lovely... She sent me in, I have to tell you, that uh, uh, Ruth left a lovely letter, personal letter for me. And when I saw it, I said, God, I have to talk to When I saw the book, get in here, ASAP. Congratulations. It's brilliant. Mr. Wiscockley, Adventure in Thorny Wood by Ruth Campbell and illustrated by Vivian Byrne. This is going to fly, I promise you. It's been a pleasure meeting you on the show today. Good thank luck you to you. Thank you very much having us, Thank Jerry. you very much indeed. Bye-bye.
0: Great. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie.
3: Reminding you the fantastic new Amy Huberman. Bourbon Footwear Autumn Winter Collection is on sale now. You'll find the full collection in premium footwear stores nationwide or online at bourbonfootwear.com. And to celebrate, Amy and the crew at Bourbon have given us a voucher for any style from the bourbonfootwear.com range to give away every day this week on Late Lunch. So somebody's going to win today. The question was... Amy Huberman has written and is starring in a new sitcom which will begin on RTE1 this Wednesday, 9.35. What's the name of it? It's called Finding Joy. And Finding Joy today with a new set of shoes or footwear from Amy Huberman. Is Suzanne Dunn from Ravensdale. Well done to you, Suzanne. Uh, that's your prize this afternoon. We'll be in touch to make the arrangements. Yes, uh, right answer there, finding joy. Also, the book, oh, Mr. Wiscockley, isn't it uh, just a fantastically illustrated and what a great story is in the book? Loads of messages coming in from you as to why uh, I should send one of you a signed copy of the book by the author and illustrator. I'd love the book because I've been threatening to write a children's book for a few years. And like to see what I'm up against, says Mary Kay from Kells. I'd like to enter for my eight-year-old niece, Hannah McCabe, who loves to read and is waiting excitedly for a new brother and sister, a new arrival on the way there. Uh, I think you should give this book to my son. He's 31. Oh, come on. 31. Grow up. No, I'm only joking. But uh, when he was three, he had an imaginary friend named Fifi and Fido. He's getting married on Halloween Day. It would make a lovely present says Geraldine his mum ah oh, the Irish mammies you can't beat them uh, I love to stand in a shop go through the books for the pictures tell the story without words love them says Sarah McLaughlin uh, would love the book for my daughter really loves reading books from local people that's a Kerry Ann Carney uh, I would love it from my three grandchildren they're avid readers seven five and the youngest is two well the seven and five there that comes in from Vivian Kernan and if I win the this child's book I'll be giving it to my granddaughter Alice Cashin from Garristown she's aged 8 she loves books and loves illustrations when reading so this book would absolutely amaze her that's from Nana O'Brien in Stabannon who will we give it to? There's more. There's loads of them. I could be reading here for the next five, ten minutes. I'm not going to. Um, today, we'll give it to Vivian and Vivian Kernan, the book's for you. Just picked you out there, random, from some of those I read there a moment ago. Congratulations. We'll be in touch. And uh, thank you to everybody who sent us in text messages and WhatsApp messages this afternoon to Late Lunch. You've all been considered, and there'll be more chances to win books and other things, of course, down the road. And don't forget, we have another Amy Huberman competition on Late Lunch tomorrow for you. Up next, I think there's going to be a clamour for this. A young man from County Mead, he's a student, his name is Finn Savino, he's called on TDs and the Oireachtas to enact a law forbidding homework. No homework anymore for school children. I hear it, I hear the cheers going up out there as we speak. We're going to talk to him next on Late Lunch. He's a pupil at Clonmelin National School where he's in fourth class and he's calling on his local TDs to help him in his campaign to ban homework. No homework for school children. And he joins me on the line now. Finn Savino. Finn, good afternoon.
9: Good afternoon, Jerry. And it appears to be a waste of time to me and Sirsha as well. well. I'm not really so sure about Sirsha. Haven't seen her getting stressed over homework. But like usually she doesn't really mind it that much. She just doesn't like the writing bit.
3: So Cerys is your sister, is she? Yes. What class is she in? First. And you're in fourth class. Yes. So you believe homework is a total waste of time. Yes. Why? Do, do you not see that there's a benefit to, you know, learning more at home when you, when you get this extra work that it helps you?
9: Well, it does kind of help, but it's if- but children will probably get very, very tired. Like, some schools, like, give you a history, Irish, geography, math, English, reading, you know, like all yes, that. Yes,
3: too much. So you feel there is too much. But you want none, Finn, is that it? Do you feel you do enough work at school during the day? Yes. Okay. Yes, I do. And when you come home, you're tired after school, and you just want to relax and get ready for the next day.
9: Yeah, I just like to have my quiet time. As you see, homework takes away family time, play time, and active time, which is putting children's health at risk. And I want this Ireland to be, you know, be more like Finland. Like Finland, their schools have shorter days and no homework, and their students are actually getting on very, very
3: well. OK, so you've researched this, and that's the Finnish system, that they're shorter days and no homework, and they're doing, you believe, equally as well as children in Ireland.
9: Yes. Yeah. There you around, go. Go on. As I was saying, we spend around 30 hours in school every week, and an extra hour of homework is pretty much unfair, Like, most of the week, you get it on four evenings, Monday to Thursday. Like, Friday is the day of the school week that everyone dreads. Why? Because, like, they've got no homework. It's
3: (laughs) Yeah, They look forward to it. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. That you look forward to the Friday. Is that what you mean?
9: Yes. Okay.
3: And you don't get homework at the weekends? No?
9: No. Like, in some primary schools, like... I've only just moved to come to school. My old one on Friday, we took tests first thing in the morning for spellings and maths. And at big break, we have to eat our healthy lunch first. Then we could eat something like a pack of jellies, chocolate bar, biscuits.
3: Right. Okay. Yeah. So and that was at your old school. Now, you've moved to and School recently and you were voted on to the student council there, yes? Yep. Yeah. And you said to them that if you were voted on, you would mandate your local TDs to have no homework. That's that's what you said to them. If you elect me, I'll do this. Am I right there?
9: Yes. I have, like, around three policies for student council. Okay.
3: This is one of them. What are the others?
9: To help children like me with special needs and autism.
3: Okay. And And what's the other...
9: Anti-bullying. I hate bullies. Absolutely okay. hate them. In fact, I get really angry and i like, shout at them, tell them off, be fr- stop being friends with them. Like, my sister used to get bullied by Peter all the time.
3: Oh, my God. But, and what about, would other students bully you?
9: No, but he starts bullying, and we've become friends again. Okay. Nice today.
3: Okay. So you have three policies, but the one we are talking about today is this no homework one. So what have you done? Have you have you got in touch with the local TDs? Yes. Who did you write to?
9: Shane Castles, Potter Toyden, Mary Lou, Damon English, Jerry Adams.
3: Oh my God! All of those. Richard Bruton. And Richard Bruton as well, the Education Minister. D- yeah, and Michael D. Higgins. Oh, President Michael D. has got correspondence as well. Have you heard anything back from any of them?
9: Well, yeah, Pater Tobin's inviting me and all of fourth class to go to the dial at some point during the school year.
3: Brilliant. So Pather Tobin has been back with you and he wants you to come to the Dáil. And you know what? When you go to the Dáil... Never mind the writing. You're going to be able to meet more of these TDs. You know that, Finn, and talk to them. Yep. So the campaign is launched. The campaign is No Homework for School Children. Yes. Yeah. I think you are one brilliant boy. You've done what you said on your election manifesto, which a lot of politicians, let me tell you, never do, but you're a man of your word. You've gone on and, and you've done this for them. Now, is your mammy there? Is your mammy beside you? Can I have a word with, with Grania? Sure. Thanks a million.
10: How you doing, Gerry?
3: Er, yeah. so good to talk to you this afternoon. You should be very proud of that young man.
10: We really are. We're blown away by him. He's
3: brilliant, isn't he?
10: He really is, considering everything that he's had to struggle with. I mean, Finn didn't really speak until he was over four. Yes. He's only started in mainstream school in the past three years, and he's just gone from strength to strength, and now he's decided he wants to help every single student because he sees them struggling.
3: Yes. And do you, you obviously support his stance on this, yes?
10: Um, well, to be honest, when he first came to us about it, we laughed and went, yeah, tough luck, kid. That's just how things are. You have to do homework. Yeah. But he went away and he did research it and he showed us this is how many hours a day we spend learning. This is how much it takes a toll on me. Not only do we have to do schoolwork, but we also have to learn through play. We have to learn through socialization. Yes. And it adds up to more than we would expect adults to do in a normal working week. Mm. And then he found studies online from Stanford University about the fact that there is no real academic benefit to homework. Yes, And then he discovered that Finland don't do homework at all and are actually doing better than most European countries and the U.S in terms of academic achievement for their students
3: there he rests his case if we were in a court of law case dismissed your honor he's yep. absolutely right you know, he has I had the... no
10: comeback for no, that no
3: he has the data listen to this uh, mary's been anxious to say Jerry, I think this is an absolutely fantastic idea. I'm tired of having my son crying because he can't do it or his hand is tired from all the writing he's been doing during the day. We back Finn all the way. Yes, please stop homework. I love it. Yes, you have support and I'd say you have quite a bit of support out there.
10: We do. Um, you know, more and more people are getting in touch saying that homework causes such problems for them. Um, They end up fighting with the kids. It leaves the parents exhausted. It takes away from the time they get to spend with them. And there's no real benefit except putting more anxiety and stress on the kids.
3: Mm. How many uh, or how much time would he get or your daughter get at the moment in homework Monday to Thursday?
10: Well, we're very strict. We have a very strict policy of 30 minutes and that's it. And Finn will put his timer on and he will do it. But it's the anxiety surrounding the homework that if he feels it's not perfect, the stress it puts on his muscles because he also has dyspraxia of trying to write mm. and to keep it perfect so that it, it's the best that he can do.
3: Now, he's come to the new school, Clonmelin yeah. National School recently. Where was he before that?
10: He was in Cronestown. National School, which is quite a small school, and they just didn't have the supports necessary for him. Yes. And before that, he was in Saplings Primary School and Secondary School for Autistic Children in Mullungar, and they did absolute wonders for him.
3: Right, and they had no homework?
10: They had, well, their homework was more spend time with your family, yes. do some occupational yeah. therapy, go outside and play, mm. read a book, yep, do some exercises.
3: Well, you know what? That's my type of school. I'm yeah. with you. I'm with Finn on this all the way. I went through it myself and my own children many moons ago and I'm I'm familiar with it with, with other people now today and it is, it, it's a huge thing to do and at times, oh my God, they're just overburdened with stuff, especially when they move on to second level and that as well and the exams yeah. are, are coming up. But there you go. He started this camp. So, so Pather the campaign, Pather has come back to him and, and the invite is there. That'll be great to go to the doll. Uh, are you hopeful? you might get a few other responses
10: We hope so. I mean we've had a few acknowledgement emails, we've had an acknowledgement email from Gerry Adams and Mary Lou McDonald we've had an email back from an assistant to the Green Party saying that they remember themselves how awful homework was and they'll certainly pass it on
6: mm.
10: <clears throat> but for the meantime that's all we've had back so far but okay. you can only send it on Sunday
3: yeah, well, that's, uh, yeah. you still have time to get back. I really do hope this uh, gets them to, to have a look at this and, and pay attention as well. So they're all preoccupied, well, presidential is on at the minute and we could have a general election in the next while with all the talk on that as well. But look, this is interesting what he's raised here and he's, he's caught a lot of attention of people. I know this and that's why we're chatting today uh, to you as well. So the die is cast and... Finn Savino is the man leading the charge for no homework. I'll tell you one thing, he could have some support behind him, this fella. He could run for office shortly, Grania,
10: I think so, I think his sights are set on the door next.
3: Well, my God, he's terrific, isn't he? He's a terrific little guy. Will you put him onto me there? I have a minute left, I just want to. And thank you, thank you for taking the call, Grania, today. Not at
10: all, I'll put you back
3: on. Put him onto back onto there. me there, will you, for a minute. Hello, Finn, are you there? Yep, I'm here. I just want to say to you again, congratulations on what you've done. You're a great fella and uh, getting in touch with all these politicians and I'm sure you're going to have huge backing and support for your campaign. You must be a hero in the school, are you?
9: Oh yeah, On when we were watching the RC Kids News, the question of the week was Do you get enough free time? And like, do you Do you know the Simpsons? Well, yeah. Like when I said no, I acted like angry Mr. Burns because of homework, and then everybody just started shouting "Finn for president." You know.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what. It's lucky you're not in the campaign. I think with a call like this, with all the young voters out there, you could have been elected president. Do you know that? Well, yeah, I could be elected president in the future. You You can indeed, and that's the way to keep thinking. What age are you now? You're only nine, are you?
9: Yes, yeah, so I'm turning
3: 10 on December fourth. Oh, my God, you're advancing in years for sure. Ten years of age. Please, God, in the future, it will be your turn. And with starting this campaign and making people think about this and turning our thoughts to it, I think you've done a great job. Finn, thank you for joining me on the show. I wish you well. Thank you. Thank you. you. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye, Finn. Bye-bye. That's Finn Savino in uh, County Mead this afternoon with his mum, Grania. there. No homework. What do you think? We have to pick this up. We have to leave it for today, but we certainly will have to come back with it. He has a point. Finland and the research and everything else besides food for thought, I say again before we finish this afternoon. Thank you for your company. Eddie's up next with The Drive. We'll see you for midweek, late lunch, Wednesday, half one.
0: The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Drogheda, your local Renault selection dealer. With over 250 quality used cars in stock, there's always something for everyone at Blackstone Motors. Check out our used stock online at blackstonemotors.ie.